Get ready, Avalanche territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hello again, everyone, and welcome into another installment of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am Mike Evans, and as always, Mile High Hockey Podcast presented by good people at TNT Home Services for all your heating, plumbing, cooling, and electrical and plumbing needs. Please reach out to my friends at TNT Home Services. Give them a call, 720-500-1979 and at tnthomeservicesco.com. My guest today after... Last night, we're recording this on on Friday, uh, exciting, thrilling, two-to-one overtime win for the Avalanche is Scott Masters, a regular contributor here to uh, Avalanche Hockey here on The Fan, and of course with LaCroix Hockey. So, Scott, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. How are you? Is this the award-winning podcast that everyone talks about? Yes. You Well, I'll tell you what, I owe you a debt of gratitude because you've been a regular participant on this, so without... The contributions of people like you, we don't win the award. So uh, let me take this opportunity to thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that, but I think it's all you. Well, but. well, we we have a lot to talk about. And uh, Game 2 was a, a fun one to watch, and the Avalanche escaped so many different angles to this. Uh, let me just start throwing some out, and, and, and here we go. Were you surprised that Nashville was able to come out and, and play such a different and certainly much more effective game than what they showed in game one. Surprise, no. It, it, it kind of set it up that way. Um, you know, you see the dominance in, in game one by the Avalanche, and uh, you expect some pushback from in game two from the National Predators, and they did push back. The big thing for them was their goaltending, the change in goaltending. The goaltending in game one was just let's say, playing awful. Um, I haven't seen that bad of goaltending for a long time, and, and Avalanche took advantage of it uh, by all means with their skill and overall talent. Uh, and then they ran into it, uh, you know, a, a good goalie who, who hasn't seen a lot of time, and so that made a, a little bit of difference, made a different game, right? It wasn't blown out, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good game for Nashville. They, they played well. Um, but you still don't see Nashville winning the series at all because they can't score. I mean, they, they've been having a hard time scoring in game one and game two, and credit to the Avs defense and goalie and uh, all those aspects. The Avalanche are just playing really, really well. So credit to uh, Ingram last night for stepping up, and I think he's going to step up in game three in a great atmosphere in um, Las Nashville, Las Vegas, Nash Vegas, and uh, let's let's see what happens there. I want to ask you about uh, about a goaltender and and what it takes to say he truly was standing on his head, especially on a night in which the Avalanche put a lot of shots on goal. I, I'd, I'd like to kind of sort of get cut through some myths and kind of get to the truth of like what the Avalanche were doing on offense. Yeah, they were piling up the shots, but were they good shots? Were they was it the right kind of attack on a goaltender like Ingram? How was he allowed to get into that comfort zone? Were we were we seeing we were seeing a lot of shots, but were they good shots? Were there too many shots coming from uh, low percentage places on the ice? Were there not enough traffic in front? Not enough crashing after rebounds? I, I'm just kind of curious what you thought about the attack that the Avalanche put on Ingram, and and just how special was his performance? 
Yeah, Mike, I, first, I like you. I like the way you think because I was going to say the same thing. Uh, for game one, I got some insight from the coaching staff of the Avalanche on how, how much they prepared for Riddich. And uh, they had great analytics. They had great uh, video scouting. And they knew that they wanted to go low to mid blocker on Riddich. And they did that. You can look back at the tape and you can look at it. That's where they targeted like maybe four of the goals. Like it was just unbelievable how well they did it on Ingram. Maybe they didn't have that as much information on him because he's not as experienced. So maybe they didn't know they didn't have as much of a game plan as they did for Riddich. And yeah, you're right. I think they made, I think the combination of Ingram being a little bit more aggressive, being a little bit more top of his crease, a little bit more, aggressive out top uh reducing the angles and the fact that the avalanche kind of shot at him as well uh, you look at the the great chance that uh Kadri had midway through the third um a one-timer it, it was a good shot it was a great save but uh you know goal scorer right there uh like matthews or someone like that puts it up in the top hand corner uh so it doesn't have the chance to make the save, uh, sliding the cross. And then a couple minutes later, McCarr had a chance coming down the slot, put it, put it to the glove. Good save again, but not a great save. It, so the Avalanche were kind of shooting at, um, you know, at him a little bit. Weren't, uh, he had a lot of shots, yeah. But I don't know if a lot of those were, you know, super fantastic saves. There was a couple, obviously. But standing on his head, I'm not sure if he actually did. I think he just took a lot of shots and, and I think that just uh, was just a difference on Av's attitude on Riddich versus Ingram. But there's no doubt, and you're right, through the first two peri- first two games, it is so clear the difference in, in talent. And Nashville just looks like a team, it almost was like their game plan in game two was, hey, let's, let's just put a defensive shell out there in front of Ingram. Let's try yep. to bottle up the neutral zone. We're going to have really a defensive-minded approach. And, hey, if we can get lucky – get a play like the one in which Sammy Gerrard muffed the puck and leads to a two-on-one, or if we can get just a, a – you know, I used on the on the show with Schlereth, I used a boxing term. It was almost like they were doing a lot of rope-a-dope, where it was just, hey, you know, stand back, we'll take some shots, we'll take some shots, and then we'll look for that one opportunity where maybe you slip just a little bit, we can counter, and maybe get a knockout. It was almost like that was kind of how Nashville was trying to approach the uh, approach this game. And, and let's face it, that that's that's just not a recipe for success if you're trying to beat the Avalanche four times. Yeah, and going into the overtime, you had that feeling, right? Like, hey, if Nashville, I just didn't see, I just didn't have that feeling that Nashville was going to score. They had a couple chances in the overtime. But also, if I was like, I was thinking during that overtime, I was like, if Nashville scores and ties up this series, the way they've played in the first two games doesn't set them up for a, right. a series right. upset, right? right? Like, right. you weren't, even if it was 1-1 going into Nashville, you still felt like Avalanche were going to figure it out. Yep. and and still maybe win the next three or next three out of four. Like it's, it just doesn't look like Nashville's in this series and doesn't have a chance. Obviously we could be proven wrong, but their, their game plan of the sit back and get out shot 40 to 20 is not, you know, (laughs) a sustainable uh, way to win, especially against Avalanche. They're going to get their goals somehow, some way, uh, some Nashville does need to be a little bit more aggressive. They got some top skill guys. They got some some great talent, but 
I don't think the Avalanche are scared right now at all. Busy with Scott Masters from uh, LaCroix Hockey, LaCroixHockey.com. We'll, we'll tell you more about that as we uh, move along here throughout the course of this uh, podcast. Wayne Gretzky, the great one, perhaps you've heard of him, uh, said in between the second and third period that, that this is a good game for the Avalanche to get to play early on in the playoffs because they need to get used to playing this kind of style if they want to win a cup. you agree with that? Yeah, I do. You need to be tested. You need to be uh, – the, the playoffs is a, is a long road, right? Like to 16W exit, 16W, you know, like the, the New Jersey exit. It's a long road. It's it, it takes a lot. You have to be composed through the whole thing. You know, wins, losses. Again, if they would have lost last night, they, you know, they would have had to find a way to bounce back. And if they crumbled after a loss last night last, – night if they lost you know if <laughs> you can't crumble like that but yeah it's a long road and they need to be tested and they need to lose some games you know to uh to feel good about themselves when they bounce back and win a game and maybe lose two in a row and then bounce back because they lost two in a row to vegas last year and then they panicked and lost end up losing four in a row so Gretzky also commented on Makar and how special he is, and that should be a next subject on how great this, this kid is. I mean, he's unbelievable. What, 11 shots on eleven shots on net last night out of 20 shots overall. He was just unbelievable in game one and game two, and what a difference maker he is, and he's going to be a joy to watch throughout the playoffs and throughout the next eight years. You know, Scott, I think it's – and you've been around this game a long time as a, as a scout working in front offices. I'm trying to get ahead of this whole Kale McCarr conversation and what we're watching with this guy in a historical context. And when you talk about great offensive defensemen, uh, it, there's a very short list as far as I'm concerned. you got guys like Paul Coffey, Phil Housley, uh, Brian Leach, uh, of course, uh, uh, Bobby Orr. Uh, how does this guy fit in this group, and how does this guy create his own mold that we haven't seen before? I think he ends up being the best ever, and that's a huge, Woo. huge comment. But I end up, I, I, I strongly believe that he is that good. Like at the end of the day, at the end of his career, he'll probably have two or three cups, and he'll have a majority of a lot of records. Um, he is just incredible. The what he can do and how he can change the game, and he's a better skater skater than the forwards. He's you know just his hockey sense, his knowledge, everything about it is just unbelievable. Um, so to fit, where do I see him? Yeah, I see him as being one of the best ever, if not the best ever. Um, and then how does he make himself unique? Um, that's a good question. I think. I think his game and the way he holds himself is impressive as well. Like doing the, they just said, Hey, released the commercial on recycling and he was great. He had a great demeanor, has a great sense of humor. And I think once he sets, once the next couple of years go, when he turns 25, 26, 27, and really is mature as a person, you're going to really see his personality come out and fans just kind of going to really, really connect with him. Like, more so than other players, right? Like, uh, I think he may be better than McDavid as far as personality. Uh, obviously, way better than McKinnon as far as personality. So, he's going to be a superstar from start to finish of his career. 
and one of the best ever. How does this guy be allowed to be just a defenseman? Wouldn't you think that at some point uh, a hockey uh, evaluator like yourself would say, this guy needs to be playing forward. This guy needs to be a centerman. He, he needs to be moved up. His skills are being wasted on the back end. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say wasted. I you mean, know what I mean? He has that, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and forward and defenseman are just different mentalities. And I wouldn't necessarily say he needs to be moved up because he doesn't play. You know, I, that's a good question, but he's – great as where he is where he scored mm-hmm. almost 30 goals this year on the back end so you know is he going to score maybe 35 to 40 on the back in or in the front on the uh, as a forward maybe but you lose what his movement is on the back end like he's so valuable with the way he skates out of trouble and uses the net as you know um skating away from defenders and or people chasing him he's just that good like he's just able to move the puck with his uh, with a stick or move it with his feet, so he's more valuable as a defenseman than if he scored forty. Yeah, you know, because he's a really good defenseman too. I mean that that's that's the other thing about this. It's not like he's just all offense. This guy shows how good he is defensively all the time as well. And the other thing, Scott, here is that you know you are talking about a great offensive defenseman, but I continue to be impressed with just how good he is defensively. Yeah, he, he's been better than I, I thought he was going to be. I was worried probably the last two years about his defensive ability and maybe turnovers. He's definitely got better on that aspect. And and I think the Avalanche and the coaching staff see that too. You see him more on the PK. You see him more more ice time getting higher and higher. And I think that's just because of the trust level is because his defensive game has gotten better. And the, one of the parts of why his defensive game isn't is getting better is one is hockey sense he can anticipate plays he can see them and then his skating ability he like he's able to skate out of trouble he can get to loose pucks he can create from a defensive mindset to an offensive to an offensive play right away you saw that last night what was it three on five uh nashville has a power play uh mccarr turns it into two on one like who sees that right. like it's that was all McCarr right there, uh, playing defensive, uh, defensive play, in a great situation for him. Like that's incredible. The Avalanche put him or trusted him in that situation, right? You want, you would think of like Eric Johnson or uh, Taze in that situation, in a, especially on a three-on-five. But McCarr was out there and almost scored a goal, which is just incredible. Busy with Scott Masters, and, and there's so many storylines with this. Uh... Avalanche team through the first couple of games. I'm just kind of bouncing around here. The the roster construction and the personnel decisions through the first couple of games. Uh, game one, Jared Bednar sits Logan O'Connor and Alex Newhook. Game two, because of the Cogliano injury, uh, Logan O'Connor's in there. And O'Connor was provided some great energy and shifts and was on the ice at the end. As you move forward now, you've got this embarrassment of, of depth how, how do you think Bednar is going to to use these guys? How is he going to mix and match? Well, moving forward is a very interesting uh, thought, especially during the playoffs and then actually after the playoffs uh, in the offseason. They have a ton of unrestricted free agents. So the, the window here is that if Avalanche make a run, they got to take advantage of it because uh, you don't know what the – 
what next year is going to look like. You know, Kadri looks like he's gone. Berhowski looks like he's gone. They don't have a goaltender. So long-term, we can get to that. That's probably a different question. But as of right now, they do have a lot of depth. And on Twitter, I kind of got at it with, with a couple people about the Avs depth. I love their depth. However, is it playoff depth? Meaning how Bednar took this new hook, who's obviously a great player and a great asset moving forward. I would say maybe their second-line center next year. But he's sitting right now is because it's a playoff-type atmosphere, and playoffs are played differently. So he is playing the fact that he's trying to play a playoff lineup. And is Newhook a playoff player right now? We're not sure. And that's what I'm concerned about with Berhofsky. Like, he's not one of my favorites. So I would actually consider sitting him in the future uh, just because of the way he plays in the playoffs. He's just not a playoff player. But Bednar has done great so far, you know, and uh, O'Connor came in with a lot of energy. That's how he plays. And sometimes you need that in the playoffs, just a player that just goes into floor checks and creates havoc and, and does his job. And I think that's what Bednar is thinking, that the fourth line has a different job or a different mindset than the second line or the third line, and that's how he's structuring his lineup. You've never been afraid to be critical of the Avalanche and point out their soft spots, their their weaknesses. When you look at this team right now and you compare it to the one that we watched lose to Vegas, where do you see the most profound differences? And where do you still see some areas that concern you? Well, last year I was concerned about their second and third pairing defensemen. Um, I just didn't think they were strong enough to face, you know, the heavy uh, offensive teams like Vegas last year. Um, This year I've been impressed with how well the defensive parents have played. I think Nashville has been completely shut down and, and credit the Avs defense for that. Uh, as far as goaltender, I had that question last year as well. Uh, we don't know that yet, uh, just because Nashville hasn't credit to the defensemen of, of Colorado. Again, we don't know what Darcy has, uh, say Kate, round two or three or four, or whatever it may be. We'll, he'll, he'll show us that. Um, Last year, I was critical of the scoring depth. Uh, I still have that little bit of an issue with Avs uh, when I question, hey, are they going to win a cup? I don't think they will this year just because of that. Like, I don't feel good about the overall makeup of this team, and I, I'm going to get a lot of abuse from it. I know, like, I'm not a big Nathan McKinnon fan. <laughs> I'm just not. and And that comes from experience of scouting for and being in hockey for 20 years and it's not the way he plays it's not that it's it's not that he can his talent and his skill and his speed it's just that it factor and I don't believe in McKinnon having that it factor and I don't know if Avalanche will ever win with Nathan McKinnon interesting so despite the fact that you know, he's got like 73 points in 50 playoff games and his his point per playoff game uh, record, his performance is up there with you know some of the all-time greats. And, 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 and despite that, you're still just, you're not sold, huh? I'm not sold. And it, it's a big comment, right? It's yeah. a huge, uh, <laughs> put myself out there. And um, I just, 
being around the game, you just see players and being in, in, in and out of locker rooms, you see how players treat each other and, and do things. I just don't think he's well liked. Um, he burns hot, right? I mean, he is. He, he does. He's very he demanding, it, right? Yeah, and he saw it the other day in a, in a press conference with Niskushkin, and it, uh, McKinnon wasn't even in the press conference, but Niskushkin said it's hard to play with McKinnon. And there's that borderline of, yeah, uh, top end players push other people to be the best, right? And we see that with great athletes obviously um but i don't know if it comes across from mckinnon as genuine um and i don't i personally don't believe he's well liked by his player, by his teammates okay well that's and and you know what he'll be the first to admit he admitted after losing to vegas last year it's nine years in the league i haven't done bleep right so um, this is a guy who who does demand a lot of himself and those around him. And, yeah, we, we've heard the stories about how uh, intense he can be to the point where players are almost afraid of him or just, you know, don't like him. So it's – well, this, this is what he has to prove, right? This is what he has yeah. to show. He has to show that he can – that he has it. And yeah, this and- deep into his career – you know, you, you you start to you start to lug that baggage around. Yeah, yeah. It's a big year for the Avs in the playoffs. This is a huge. What's going to happen in the Avs' future depends on this year. So, Nathan McKinnon is not a UFA, but I, I I'm saying he's a UFA this summer because it was one year left. You do not want Nathan McKinnon to become a UFA, uh, unrestricted free agent, because that opens the door to so many options for Nathan McKinnon. So I would say the Avalanche, as a general manager, if you want to keep Nathan McKinnon, you have to sign him this summer, which is going to be a huge deal. Eight years, maybe $13 million. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to be paid similar to Connor McDavid. Fair. That's fair. Yep. They both are very similar players, similar points. McDavid is obviously a little bit better player. But I think the Avalanche need to sign him this year, which then offsets, which then pushes what else they can do. Then – what do you do next? Uh, you have to sign a goaltender. You don't have a goaltender signed for next year. You have a backup signed for next year, but you don't have a, a, a starter. Then what do you do with the Kadri's, the Bajorowski's, uh, and then Niskushin, who's come on? Mm-hmm. Well, Niskushin lines up as a comp right now on a technical salary cap type of guy mentality. Well, he's going to ask for eight years at $32 million, mm-hmm. which is very similar to Hyman – uh, in Edmonton, leaving Toronto, uh, very similar players as far as playing hard. Numbers are very similar, 20 goals, 20-some plus goals. So he's going to ask for that money. So <laughs> now Niskuchkin is your second-line center or second-line winger, maybe your first-line winger, whatever. It just sets up for this snowball effect of, oh, my goodness, you have McCarr, you have McKinnon, you have Landis Gog, you have Rantanen all these top salaries, where else does that money go? It's a good point because the Avs have been really fortunate. They've had one of the best deals in sports with the contract that McKinnon's been playing under, and, and he's he's been the good soldier about it. But you, you know he's eyeing that monster, monster payday, and that's something that's going to have to – you know, factoring with the, uh, with the with all the moves the Avs are making. Busy with Scott Masters. Scott, uh, r- real quick, maybe kind of as we wrap this thing up, what are you seeing different that you like, hopefully, from Jared Bednar this year? 
I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jared Bernard. Like, uh, you know, I've known him for many, many years. He coached our minor league team in St. Louis and the Peoria River man. Um, so I had a chance to, to work with him. And he's just a great uh, coach. And when I say that in these today's terms is that you want a coach that can coach and knows his X's and O's, but he's also can talk to his players. Um, and I think the, the younger coaches in today's game – in any sport have that mentality and have that ability to just be more relaxed and be able to communicate with their players. And you look at John Cooper in Tampa, who was very similar, probably they're very similar to Jared Bednar, young, kind of cool, kind of hip type of uh, laid back um, demeanor. And I got to know John Cooper also in that same kind of atmosphere as John Cooper was coaching the St. Louis uh uh, team there, uh, which they dominated, and and John Cooper just rose quickly to the top because he just always won. And I think Bednar is very similar to that. He's, he's, I think he's done a great job. I think he will continue to do a great job, and I think they have much have a great coach uh, for a very very long time. You know, we've had this discussion a lot with with football and the Broncos, and how it's a different time in the NFL. You need a different kind of coach, uh, one that can relate to players. Is is that is that where we're at right now in the NHL? Is the the old school John Tortorella way uh, of doing things uh, going by the wayside? You know, I think so. And I've had the you know the chance to work with some of the greats. I worked for Mike Keenan. I worked for yeah. uh, Hitchcock. I worked for Andy Murray. You know, I would say those three guys are definitely old school. Yep. Um, but they're also all three are a little bit different. Mike Keenan was definitely uh, coached on scare tactics and be loud. He wasn't definitely an X and O's guy. And, and Gwazdecki also, George Gwazdecki of the DU, was, had a chance to work with him, and he was a great uh, speaker, a great motivator. Um, but he left his, his communication with the players up to assistant coaches. Okay. So – you know, every coach has their pluses and minuses and Andy Murray was over the top and demanded players to study. And that's not going to work in today's game. It's just not. And I think you got to have that mentality like Nathaniel and the Broncos and Hey, Hey, I'm your buddy. Let's do this um, mentality. And I'm your friend and let's, let's talk about it and let's be cool and hip. I think that's the way, sports are going right now um, and will continue to go. But you also need a, you know, a strong leader that says, Hey, we're not doing this right. Let's change. Um, you're not the person that I, I really want to play. So new hook, you sit, mm-hmm. um, you do your job and support your teammates type of thing. Um, and I think Bednar has a good grasp on that. Uh, either in, you know, able to communicate and the toughness aspect. Good stuff. Hey, for everybody who is, uh, especially for younger hockey players, what you guys going on, get going on with Lacroix Hockey? Tell tell us a little bit about it, how they can get in touch, and um, you know just what you have going on there. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, it, it's great. We've we've teamed up with the new Drill House uh, Sports Center, which is inside Family Sports. It's just completely redone. Got out the carnival rides, all these <laughs> things. It's a great training facility for anyone, especially kids, and so. Uh, Lacroix Hockey and the Drill House are running some great camps, summer camps, uh, daily classes, shooting lanes, all these things that are just going to make hockey players better. 
It's a great atmosphere, uh, and we're just going to keep on doing more. We're going to do a hockey fest in October, um, or sorry, August, where we're just going to bring in all, you know, some great alumni to play a little ball hockey in the streets. Uh, you know, <laughs> you imagine Peter Forsberg playing and Ray Bork playing, and you could be, <laughs> become a, uh, you know, we like Mike Evans out there, maybe a Tyler Columbus. and <laughs> That'd be awesome. Like that. so I got some street hockey be- <laughs> game. I got some street hockey background. Yeah, it's going to be a great event. And so the Qual Hockey and Joe House are just doing some great things, and it's a lot of fun. So Awesome. So people go to uh, com. Yeah, com. We have a couple camps there coming up in the summer. And then drillhousesportscenter.com, and it shows everything that we offer there too. So uh, two two programs and two organizations that are doing a lot of great things. Excellent. Excellent. Scott Masters, been my guest here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast and uh, want to thank our presenting sponsor, TNT Home Services for all your heating, plumbing, cooling, and electrical needs. Take advantage of their $29. They'll come on out and check out your air conditioning. Make sure it's ready to go for the long, hot summer ahead. You can call them 720-500-1979 and tnthomeservicesco.com. Scotty, thank you very much. We'll do this again here, as I expect. Now, you don't think it's going to end in a cup, but I do think it's going to be a long run at least. So we'll definitely do this again here very soon. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. There you go. Scott Masters, and that'll do it for this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. We'll be back again next week as the Avalanche continue their playoff run.